Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Ronak. Mike, thanks for having me <laughs> on and a uh, huge fan of everything you put out. So thanks for bringing me on. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you start us out? Can you give us an intro on, on you and Obvi? Absolutely. Um, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Obvi. Obvi is a women's health and wellness brand focused around collagen. Uh, we started the brand about three and a half years ago, actually coming up almost on four years. Um, and our focus is uh, try to make collagen in the category of health and wellness a little bit more fun and exciting. So it's not just products you have to take, it's products you want to take. Nice. What, what, uh, what got you into the business? Yeah, um, I've been in supplements for um, almost 10 plus years. My, my job out of college was uh, working for a supplement brand called Shreds, which back in the day was one of the larger supplement brands. Um, and uh, it was back in the day when there was no such thing as like paid ads and stuff. Everything was like posting on Instagram. And you, if you posted first, you would be on the algorithm to just win. And, and uh, we did a, you know, we built a few different brands. Uh, another one was skinny.com, which was a weight loss tea company. And then Flavor God, which is a seasoning company. So I got to work on all three brands right out of college. I was a controller and working on marketing. So very kind of gritty experience. I love the category of supplements. Love the fact that you can see results from people quickly. So you can understand if your product's good or not. Um, and then I just kind of stuck with it. Uh, ran a marketing agency after the company I worked at, Shreds. Um, ran that for four and a half years. And then finally said, you know what? I've done making everyone else their money. Uh, I think I, I want to try and make my own, uh, make something for myself. So that's when I started a brand. Yeah, you guys have had uh, huge success for just being, you know, a couple of years in the business. Um, can you, you know, was it right off the bat that uh, that you knew you had something with the uh, with the brand positioning and the product, or walk us through kind of the start and 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 how you got into that kind of rapid phase of growth? Yeah, you know, um, for us, the the biggest piece was that when we when we kind of started off our company, myself and my two other co-founders, we don't know anything outside of D2C. Um, it's all we knew, but when we did know, we knew pretty well, like which was running advertising. We knew how to build good websites, good funnels. So when we started this brand, um, yes, we wanted to disrupt collagen, but more importantly, what we wanted to do was apply everything we had learned in marketing for many years um, and see if we could you know, do it well again. Um, and so from day one, like literally, you know, usually when you launch a brand, you like, first few months, maybe you have like friends and family buying, maybe you're doing organic, this or that. But for us from day one, uh, we ran ads. Like when the brand launched at like 4 p.m., I remember on June 1st, we had our ads running. That was our first sale came from a Facebook ad. So I, what I would say is we started making money literally instantly. Um, but we were spending money instantly. We bootstrapped the brand with $10,000. So uh, we each put in $3,300 each. We're equal partners um, and best friends. So it was uh, it was kind of one of those things which started off as like, hey, let's give it a shot. Um, that $10,000 carried us until um, late last year, believe it or not. Um, so we were bootstrapped till late last year, and then we finally raised a friends and family round. Um, but um, yeah, I think our success or whatever success is came pretty quickly because we did what we knew best, which was built a killer website from day one, 
converted at four or five percent from day one. Um, ran ads that we knew, you know, needed to be focused around good content that was appealing. So we had cereal flying in because it's cereal flavored collagen. Um, very like thumb stopping content. And these are things that are people are doing now and last year and year before. But we were doing it from like 2019 because uh, that's kind of been our model. So that's uh, that was our approach. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, rang a bell with me because um, you know Mantle Harvest had two other co-founders, and we each put in thirty three hundred dollars, and it was ten grand to uh, to start. I think I think we raised capital sooner because of manufacturing and stuff. But love uh, love the success and and really the focus on uh, being lean. Your the the three co-founders that you guys you talked about your your strengths that you guys shared is is that is that how you guys were managing the business or or do you guys each brings a different skill set to like how, how do the three of you kind of divide and tackle all that needs to be done off the bat? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we got, I don't think I'll, I'll call it lucky because it's not like we stumbled upon each other, but we all worked together even at our first company shreds. So we were all out of college, like friends. Um, one of us was actually roommates in college too. Well, two of us, sorry. So, um, we were all working at shreds together. Um, and, we all had very distinct skill sets. So Ash, one of my partners, he's like a paid marketing expert. He's now managed over $200 million in ad spend. Ankit, he was rated the top 25 designers under 25 years old. So expert brander, expert designer. And then I was the ops and finance background. So the reason I think we got along so well was we, we, only, had, we only knew what we knew in our own lanes. But neither one of us were good enough about no, like trying to go into someone else's lane. So we all knew and understand how to run the business in our own lens. And I think it worked really well because we respected each other and we still do. Um, and, you know, I think where it becomes tricky is when you have two co-founders, three co-founders, and there's a lot of overlapping similarities or overlapping skill sets. That's when at some point you're going to have friction and opinion. Are you going to have friction and differences? So I think for us, the skill set kind of differences really helped us grow. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect perfect fit. Uh, and describe it, you know, the, both uh, the the product and the uh, and the consumer side of marketing, and then the ops and finance. Like you got it, all the bases covered. And we talk about that all the time. Of like, you know, for if it's if you don't have a co-founder or you're looking for your co-founder, you really got to do an assessment first about what you're good at and then, and then what you need someone else to bring to the business. Cause if everyone's focused on marketing, uh, then you're probably dropping the ball on ops and finance and, and, and or yeah, you're, you're kind of fighting over like how you make decisions instead of trusting in each other's skill set. Yeah. I couldn't can agree you, more. And I, yeah, I was going to say, can you give us an overview of where the, uh, where the, where the company's at now? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, I think you just quick journey to, um, our first year we did about 178,000 in revenue. Um, 2020, we did about 5.2 million. Um, and this is when we were like, okay, so a little bit more than proof of concept. Um, 2021, we really doubled down on ad spend and growth and we did about 19 and a half million. And that's when, so up until that point, we were fully bootstrapped and then 20 and, and fully profitable too. Um, 2022 was an interesting year with all the growth we had up until that point, we started getting retail opportunities. And this is when, you know, they say, don't bite off more than you can chew. And I think one of the first, honestly, I think one of the first mistakes we made was taking on retail too fast. Um, so 2022, Vitamin Shop approached us and GNC and said, 
we'd like to bring you guys nationwide. So we said yes to vitamin shop. And we said yes, partly because it was an ego thing. Like we were just like, yeah, hell yeah. Like nationwide in a, in a specialty chain. Like why would we say no? Right. We didn't do any customer research, right? Our customers don't, they don't even know what vitamin shop is. Our customers are like Walmart shoppers. You know, they're like 55 year old women. Why would they be at a vitamin shop? So we didn't, we didn't think about these things. Um, vitamin shop didn't do well for us. And we ended up what was what what where we kind of put all our resources and time was all right we got to put it into vitamin shop and this and that and we ended up having a down year in 22 we only did 17 million in 22 now still a good year right we're only a nine person team so like great it was great but when you're coming off of a, a great year already in 21 you expect with uh, with more opportunities you're going to do better but that's where it was a hard lesson to learn like no more does not mean better more can actually mean just more problems we dealt with supply chain we dealt with cash flow we dealt with every problem under the sun lack of experience so now 23 recalibrated a lot of things um we're on track to do about 24 million this year and that's without our walmart launch which is coming in august of 27th so hopefully we can get close to 30 million yeah, I mean it's a, it's amazing uh, growth, but I think there there's a big lesson there of um, and thankfully the business already had a a, a good solid platform, but many entrepreneurs um, struggle because they expand too quickly and then and that doesn't always work out. You think it's going to be good, think that going from you know regional to national sounds good, but uh, if it doesn't work out and you don't, especially if you don't have enough working capital, you know you could uh, a good business can can close the doors just from that. But, uh, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, it's a, it's a good one for everyone to be conscious of. Um, I, uh, can agree more. Yeah. You guys are, um, it, it's all co-packed products. Uh, how, um, you got any, that's any, any lessons or, uh, or, or recommendations for kind of finding that right co-packer and scaling, uh, especially when you guys are, you know, very rapid growth like you have. I think I'll go with like a couple of pro points and a couple of con points of, some of the things we did. So I think one of the things we did right out of the gate that was good is the manufacturer that we worked with, um, their first real one uh, was based in California. And what we told them out of the gate was, um, we don't intend to work with anyone else. We wanna go all in here. And you tell us what it's going to require for us to be successful with you. So we would go out, like we're, we're based in New Jersey. We'd go out every three months We'd sit down with them. We'd visit the team. We sat down and, you know, took the owners out. Like we, it, it, people don't realize like, it's just because a manufacturer gets an order from you. It's not only their job to build a good relationship with you. It's also the other way around. Um, so we built a really good relationship with almost all our manufacturers. Uh, another, I think big piece. So, so first of all, the, the point there is, is whoever you're working with, don't just look at it as a, Hey, I'll talk to you when I have to place a PO. We know all of the teams like birthdays, like we send them lunch sometimes. Like we actually are almost like a part extended to the team. Another thing I think is important when you're looking for these manufacturers um, is a lot of times when you're kind of just searching or what, whatnot, it's very important to get both sides of the business. So whenever we get a new manufacturer, we don't just ask them like, who, who are you making product for, right? Um, what we asked them for is who did you make product for that stopped? 
that you don't make a product for anymore, right? It's, you can find it out anyway, so they're probably going to tell you. Um, the ones who don't tell you, red flag, walk away. The ones that do tell you, right, find out what those reasons are. Sometimes it's, hey, that team just wasn't good, or maybe they grew out of it, right? I've learned a lot more from finding out why someone isn't working somewhere anymore than I've learned from who you're working with. Right. So I think that's the second big positive and you don't have to use it negatively against them. Right. Everyone has churn, right? It's natural. Our, our, all our businesses have churn. The cons of some of the, I mean, the negative pieces of kind of some things that came out of what we did was one of the things was I went too heavy on expecting good pricing very quickly. Um, and, and, and not just pricing, but terms, right? Um, typically when you start off, it's 50 down 50 when it's completed. Then you can move to a model that's 25 down, 25 when it's completed, and maybe 50 net 30, okay? Ideally, I wanted to skip that step and go to net 30, okay, right out of the gate. Um, what the pro that came out of me being so aggressive was I forced my manufacturer to give me a solution to get to net 30. And he said, okay, you want net 30? Pay me $1.50 more per unit. I'll give you net 30. You're basically going to pay the interest for me to leverage your business, right? I said, okay, cool. I can make that work on my margin as 76% growth. I'm going to go down to 73. That's fine. I'll make it work. So I think, again, there's some like things you can do and things you can watch out for. So just some tips there. Yeah, no, that was a great share. Um, and I think the big takeaway, you know, and talk about it all the time. It's not, it's not easy being a manufacturer. Uh, there's no. just so much complication being a manufacturer. But it's not also easy to deal um, with Copac partners. And what you just said there, you have to be intimate with their business like it was your own business. Like it's an extension of your team, an extension of your facility, an extension of your own internal contracts. And 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 that's the way to really win is become a subject matter expert in, in their business as best as you can. And you got to make friends with them and kind of get under the hood to, to be able to do that. I agree. Yeah, well, I mean, it shows you can't you can't grow a business from two hundred to five million to twenty million uh, without the uh, without the right operations, uh, right operations behind you supporting it. Yeah, no, uh, I, that's a, that's a big piece of it. Yeah, I mean, you talked about um, uh, you know the the learnings in, uh, in in your first brick and mortar attempt, uh, and, and I know you've been open on uh, on what's to come here in the summer with uh, with a Walmart uh, expansion, a Walmart partnership. How are you thinking about? channel strategy overall, starting as a D2C brand? Like, where do you see the brand really going over the next uh, over the next while? Yeah, um, you know, I think for us, when I used to hear the word like channel strategy or just strategy in itself, it, it sounded, it, it sounded always, it always sounded like, why are you making it so complicated? Like, I, why do I need a strategy? I'll just go where like I get into, right? I'm just gonna apply everywhere. I'll just get in and I'll just figure it out. And when we failed in Vitamin Shop, that's when I realized like, Without strategy, you should not go anywhere. Um, and so for us, I think what the strategy is now is, is proving out what products work in D2C, right? You're not going to go with 25 SKUs to a retailer, right? You know your first top two, top three. That's probably the maximum amount of facings you're going to get. Take those two to three and now figure out where does your audience that you already have acquired, where do they shop? So we're lucky and blessed to build a really long, a large community with, you know, 67,000 active women talking all day, every day in this group. Um, so we asked them. And now when we asked them, the first thing was like, where do you guys shop uh, outside of, you know, Obvi? And it was predominantly Target and Walmart, right? So now we're like, okay, 
this is where they're shopping. That's our consumer. If they're, if they're all shopping here, that means there's potential to other customers. We're also shopping there, right? So now let's go with where we think we can succeed. Then our next strategy, hope, hope, hopeful win is when we can win at Walmart, we can go up down approach, which is go up to club and see if we can get a good Sam's club partnership out of the success from Walmart and maybe have one or two really cool products that are on bulk and then go down strategy with going down to grocery because outside of Walmart, the most common thing that was mentioned was a Kroger or an HEB with a consumer base. So they're probably shopping at Walmart and then also a grocery store to get their mechanics. So that is for us now, it's like learning off our customers instead of like, hey, Ash, where do you wanna be? Like, oh, I wanna be in you know, some random store. Like we can't just go off our hunch. Yeah. Another great share. I think, you know, and it, it, uh, instead of hunting, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs do, oh yeah, we're going to go into this account and this account, you, you, you thinking about the farming approach, like, what do you want out of the account? Where's your consumer? Where's your brand be able to play? What, 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 what products should you bring into that store? Cause you're, yeah, you're definitely not bringing them all. Has your, um, what do you think, how's your marketing approach going to change or is it, um, as you, as you go predominantly D to C into going into national distribution and brick and mortar? So in, in terms of, you know, when you look at kind of just like our marketing right now, right. Or like even just promotional strategy right now too, like our, our whole thing is, is at least the way we're approaching it is initially when we looked at vitamin shop, it was very much like, okay, we need to send our customers to go and shop at vitamin shop. Okay. And our first two weeks, we actually sold out, I think it was like 36% of inventory on, on shelf. Um, and it was, it was bonkers because we had a, a really cool rewards program for incentivizing people to shop offline. The, the part that, the reason that sucks is those, they're not going to keep doing that for us. Um, and so for us, what we're going to, where we're, we're leaning more towards is switching instead of going hundred percent direct response. We're going to switch maybe 15 to 20% of our spend to go to brand awareness. And we're hoping that because you're going to be walking around the aisles of a Walmart and because you'll get hit with some good remarketing and all of our direct response funnels and emails and stuff like that and our app and this and that, that the whole picture gets kind of just more, get the strengthens the velocity in a Walmart instead of trying to say, hey, customers, go shop here hey, these are all these coupons, let's buy a list or let's, you know, um, run this track. I think we're trying to take it a little bit broader approach and hoping that can play a bit of, better part. Well, for someone that you know, when you first started out talking like, oh, you're not sure on channel strategy. Now it sounds like you're, uh, you, got, you got the uh, you got the makings of it. Uh, yeah, and it does. Attempting. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's, 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 no, uh, it's no small feat to sell across the uh, U.S. Uh, in 4,000 stores. Um, so... Uh, I'll be rooting for you uh, and uh, and watching it play out. It's, it's pretty exciting and big opportunity for the brand. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you in the last four years of business scaling, obviously to where it is? Craziest thing. I think the I think probably the craziest piece was when I went to um, Bentonville to to pitch Walmart last December, and um, I was the last meeting for our category. Like I just had gotten there and they had given me a 15 minute time slot and our meeting lasted, I think it was like six minutes or seven minutes. And I was like, okay, I just like 
this is it. Like it's over for me. Um, this isn't going to work out. And so like completely defeated. And then the worst part is neither your broker or anyone else has any insight into when you're going to hear back. Right. Like they are like, oh, yeah, we typically hear back this date. Right. Now, typical hear back date was supposed to be April 1st, I think, or like or maybe March something. Apparently, this was the one year the bro the buyer was delayed. So now I'm like, okay, I already know I'm not getting in, but like I'm sweating now. So like this four month period, the amount of anxiety that you go through, the ebbs and flows, ups and downs from just hearing bits and pieces of information. Um, it was actually probably one of the craziest things that like I don't even know why I wanted it so bad because I've never felt retail being like a big piece of what I wanted. But the minute you go to Walmart and you pitch it and then you're that waiting period, I think it's one of the biggest adrenaline rushes. So I've never felt emotion for the brand. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm to expect, you know? Um, so that was, I think it was probably one of the more things I didn't expect. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great share. Great story. I, uh, it reminds me, I remember the first time I walked into Trader Joe's and I finally got a meeting and it was like two months. Okay. I got a meeting in two months and showed up at their office and they're like, their meeting rooms are like right by the front door. Similar Walmart's got their whole chain of, uh, of meeting rooms you go into, but the meeting was like three and a half minutes. And, and I thought I totally, oh my God, that's horrible. Like how, how did that, uh, and, and afterwards we got the, uh, we got the deal, but you know, there's very, uh, very efficient retailers. There's no, no wasting time. Uh, uh, it sounds like you got the, uh, the good end of that as well. Got lucky. I think got lucky. Um, hopefully. Well, and yeah, the, the, the work you guys have done to, uh, to, to, to grow the brand and, and grow yeah. the community on, and that's a, it's a Facebook, uh, Facebook community is, is still the, uh, the main community for you guys or, or yeah, it's internal the, the or face, the Facebook community is our main community. Uh, we've been growing it. Um, it's been steady growth every month um which are it's our main funnel both pre and post purchase now so if someone comments on an ad about like oh well is there too much is there caffeine in this we'll answer the question but we'll say thousands of other questions are being answered live for you in this community and we'll get people in before they buy and then post purchase there's about six touch points before they even get the product in the mail to for them to come and join the community so we try and foster both types of crowds so they can help each other almost. Have you guys changed your um, advertising strategy since the, uh, in the last like year or so as the iOS changes, like, are you doing, do, are, you, are you putting any more focus on or, or organic and boosting instead of pure, pure paid ads or, or is that, has that been the same or what's the, what's your latest view there? I wish um, we, I, I, you know, I feel like there's certain brands that just can't crack organic. And I'm not making an excuse, but you, you just see certain brands just struggle with it. And I think it comes from like creative prowess and then also where you started with the brand because um, your patience level is, is always tested with organic. Um, we've never been able to crack it. And I would say we've put considerable amount of effort and maybe it's just not consistent amount of effort. I think we're spoiled with knowing I can spend $50 and have a customer and a half come in right now, right? Versus I can spend 15 days and get nothing out of posting three times a day for 15 days in a row, right? And I think that we can't get out of our, we're, we're in our own way in that mindset. And uh, I, I just, I wish we could figure it out, but we haven't. Yeah, well, there may be some more, um... 
organic opportunities as that brick and mortar uh, distribution comes out because that's one of the so, things of being in the in the real in the real uh, uh, real chain retailers is that uh, some of these stories and 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 moments that live in PR and stuff can come naturally out and maybe be uh, supported in in social as well. How are you? Uh, what's the innovation process look like for Obvi, or how how are you guys coming at uh, some of the innovation of your products? Yeah, um, for us, I think that the biggest driver in innovation um, has been our community. So uh, I think I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but maybe I have everything except the first two SKUs we've launched at Obvi, which was the fruity cereal and cocoa cereal collagen that we started the company with. Every other SKU, and we're like 34, 35 SKUs in now, every single SKU has been voted on by our community. So anytime we think of like something new we want, or if we're looking for a new SKU to launch, um, we'll go into the community, we'll set up a type form survey, and we'll let them vote. Um, hey guys, what do you think our next collagen flavor should be? And they will literally load up live responses. People will vote on it. Whatever gets the number one vote goes straight to our manufacturer for testing and sampling. In seven to 10 days, we get samples. We approve them or give them feedback. And then in six to eight weeks, we make that flavor live. Wow. That's pretty tight. How, uh, how big was the, when you guys first started doing that, how big was the community or how, how what do you think is a, as a reasonable kind of uh, feedback for entrepreneurs to consider if they're, if they're using when that? We, when we first started, it was 50 people. 50. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was our third flavor, which we launched, which was cinnamon cereal. Um, and, uh, we literally just asked 50 people in our community and I think like 22 of them responded. So 22 people picked the third flavor of Bombi. Um, and then from there it started growing more and more as we spend more money on ads and the funnel grew. But, um, I, def I just don't think a community is a power of numbers. Like, uh, yes, obviously with more numbers, you have statistical significance, but but you don't need, like the flip side is, I don't think you need statistical significance to understand what's best for your brand as a next step if you power through your community, even if that's 10 people in the community. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, it's the gut feel of the, uh, of, of the founders and then, and then you validate that with the community yeah. instead of looking for, looking for these magical answers from, from the community. What's your thought on on personal branding, uh, and maybe maybe just give an overview of kind of some of the ways that you're trying to share your your uh, leadership and uh, thought leadership, and and uh, and how that's kind of developed as you've uh, as you've been growing Obvi. Yeah, you know, I think um, when we started Obvi, I think thanks to the pandemic, this kind of changed, but the world has always been very protective in finding out something that can help. People. And what I mean by that is, is before the pandemic, I believe that if we found out something that works in the ad space, people would be protecting it to dear life. Or if there was content that would work, right? People would be like, oh, I can't, I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to see this, right? That's why when the Facebook ad library launched, people were like, oh my God, that's it. Competition is screwed. Like everyone's going to know what everyone's doing, right? Because people were so protective. Um, even like finance strategies, people were like, hey, I'm not going to tell you what I'm raising or what my value is or this or that. So I always had a pet peeve to that because I love research. I just love reading. I love like understanding more. And so I always found it to be weird because I'm like, 
there's too many fish in the sea. Why are we fighting over protection? So one thing I told myself was when I was building Obvi, I didn't have access, open access to as much thought leadership. So I said, whether or not Obvi fails or succeeds, I'm going to put out everything that's going on. Because even if it helps one other founder do one thing better than I did, or save himself from one thing that I made a mistake in, that's that I feel like I've done my part in entrepreneurship, which is not just about making money. Um, so I've been, I think, a little bit kind of probably sometimes a little bit too much, but I think I've been very public across the build out, uh, even if we're raising capital. Uh, whatever we're doing is always on LinkedIn or Twitter. And uh, now our podcast, our newsletter, um, I just believe that, you know, it's been a great channel to, to invest in. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you're doing a good job of it. And I think the authenticity uh, shines through, you know, even some of you are sharing your, your uh, personal health journey and, um, and that part of kind of life yep. and entrepreneurship um, just makes it very, makes it very real for people. Um and, uh, and brings more opportunity. So have you felt the, uh, since you've been more active on Twitter, LinkedIn, and maybe even, even the new properties you guys are doing, like benefiting the, uh, the business? I think it's benefiting. It is not benefiting the business directly. Uh, I'm not getting any sales by posting on Twitter. Um, but I think what it's benefiting, there's two things I think it's one is intrinsic. It's benefiting our confidence in fighting our own imposter syndrome um, because we find out there's other people in our boat. And then I think the second thing it's benefiting is the conversations I do have today, whether it's with a VC, a PE group, or another founder, or speaking at an event, there's recognition of Obvi as a brand aside from the numbers. Like I can talk to someone like the founder of, of Billy, you know, the women's shaving company who's done billions in sales and he's like, hey, I love your podcast, right? And like, there's no reason for someone who's exited his business to even watch the podcast, but like it normalized us, right? And then like someone who is just starting up, you know, we were having the same conversations at a founder dinner, right? So like, I, I think it's really helped with being able to say, you know, Obvi is not the brand that's like unapproachable or not a founder set that's unapproachable. And uh, I think it's kind of like one of those brands that's like, at least, at least from what we see is like, Hey, this is this is a fun brand. They're doing something cool. They're doing something fun, and sometimes you just want to have that for your own brand's integrity. Yeah, love it. What does mentorship mean to you? Have you have you had mentors in, in during your path, or like peer to peer, or what? How, how do you think about mentorship? Yeah, um, my first and biggest mentor is definitely my father. He's done really well for himself, but he's always kept me very level headed, no matter if I'm failing or succeeding in whatever I'm doing. Um, and, and what I believe in mentorship is, is I think it's such a good pay it forward program. Like if you're a mentor and you have a mentee, I don't know the statistics on this because I have no idea, but I would say good times out of 10, most times out of 10, that mentee will be a mentor for someone, right? And I'd love to know the ratio for that because I believe if you can teach good virtues the person's going to learn good ones that they want to then reapply. So for me, I've always loved, you know, learning from my dad. But then also, as I was working at Shreds, the CEO there, Arvin, 
he was he's been a mentor for me. Um, when I was learn, running the agency, Steve Weiss from Mute Six, he was the mentor, right? Like there were people in your journey that like are pivotal in your career, but also are like keeping you afloat and in, in, in your mental path. Um, so I believe it's extremely powerful. I also spend a lot of time myself trying to help where I can. I go to Ryder University um, once a quarter to speak to um, intro to business classes to say, hey, I know it's an elective for you, but here's why you should consider, you know, being an entrepreneur. I um, I also do mentor pass calls. And like, for me, I just think it's like, I have this information that I've accumulated. I can either take that to the grave with me or I can take it to the grave and also pass it along to somebody else while I'm here. So I just think it's a super powerful tool. Awesome. Yeah. I I would agree with you on the uh, to the the when you when you pay it forward, people mentees that have a mentor are probably most likely to mentor as well because they've seen what good looks like and uh, yeah. and and feel that it actually just feels really good. Feels it uh, it feels way better to help someone than being helped, even though being helped is necessary. Do you have any regular habits or routines or tools or you know things that optimize you and believe that are integral part of your success as an entrepreneur? Yeah, there's one thing that I've done for many years now. Every morning when I wake up, um, I take my phone out and the first app I open up is LinkedIn. And what I do on there is I try to connect with 20 people that either I can benefit from selfishly or that maybe could benefit from me also selfishly. I think it's this one selfish task that I do before I get on to kind of some of what I call the nonsense platforms like your Instagram and, and TikTok, um, which, um, you know, you'll still spend time on. But um, I try to connect with 20 people to start my day because I feel like I've done my part to make myself better and smarter. Um, you know, some people read books, some people do that. So that's one thing. And then number two um, is I try to jam pack all of my meetings in one day so that I'm not this like floating unavailable person um, to my own mind. Because I think every stop and go moment you have, there's no way you can complete a full thought or even a full task with the amount of meetings we have. So Mondays, basically between like 12 to four, I literally jam pack everything. And it's just been that way for me. I think it's been helpful. I probably learned the meeting one way too late in uh, in entrepreneurship and having it. You know, it's it's just really hard. Yeah, changing hats uh, and over and over and over again. It's hard to f- get deep work done. But I do like the uh, I do like the networking. I saw you share that too. I think uh, I tell a lot of entrepreneurs about that. Like you know, when I first started on LinkedIn too, just when I reframed it, thinking about LinkedIn as a as a as a twenty four seven trade show. I just re- started reaching out to like first it was natural product founders, but most you know any founders then wanting to connect with them and uh, that active focus on networking, like what twenty people a day, and you even put that over one year, and 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 you have a, a full business there, you know, just reaching yeah. out to other people and and yeah. uh, and connecting with them. I think I reached out to you. That's how we kind of connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm just like, hey, I, I like meeting with other founders. Let's uh, let's connect. <laughs> you want you want to want to chat or whatever too. And uh, it's super powerful, uh, especially you know people just don't do it. But if you actually do that uh, and have just a nice clear goal for yourself, daily goal, weekly goal, and you and you, and you get into it, yeah. uh, after like one year, it can make a huge impact. 
exponential. You're, you're a uh, you're a family man now. Has having a family changed your um, your leadership or anything about you as an entrepreneur since uh, since you started to grow your family? Yeah, I think what it's changed is just I think I've always been a little intentional with my time, but now I'm like extremely intentional. Like if it is not valuable or I'm not able to provide value, I'm not even looking at it. Um, to the point where like it I used to maybe dabble in things that would maybe I know will be a waste of time, but I'll do it or I'll or or like I'll, I'll explore stuff and go to an event because like you know, I need some personal time or whatever. But now, like with having, you know, a baby at home, it's like any free time I do get, which is pretty limited anyway, I want that all to go towards him. So, um, you know, even like I, I started to wake up earlier because I can spend more time getting ready and be ready for him when he's awake instead of just rolling out of bed when he's awake, you know, um, I, I try to finish my day at like 6 7 p.m. So before his 8 p.m. bedtime, I at least get an hour, right? On the weekends, like I stopped doing calls all day because I usually work all weekends, but I started to just kind of have them in the mornings and clear my daytime. So just way more intentional because you realize if you work so many years, the amount of hours you actually truly get with your kid, if you're like a, an entrepreneur or working the hours most people do, is very limited, right? You spend most of your hours sleeping and working. So the amount of time you get with this, it's it's just mind blowing to think. So it just becomes super intentional. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, you know, some people could see it as as if you're an entrepreneur with like no family, then uh, then then that's your superpower. But uh, I've realized it after you know I've been a parent for a long time. But you, yeah. for just that reason, you go, hey, time is very limited, and you got to just not waste any time. So if that means doing deeper work so you can get out of there and actually then have your family focused time, uh, yeah. it makes you that is your superpower instead. It makes you more efficient or at least more mindful of, uh, of, of not being kind of lost and kind of wandering, which yeah. we can also do as an entrepreneur. No, I, uh, I agree. Anything else that you want to share? No, I think, uh, I think the, the one thing I will say, um, is let, let's start with, I mean, just start with the people who are like maybe trying to build something or in journey of building something in today's day, post pandemic, the wealth of knowledge that's out there and available to you is immense. I feel like it's getting to a point where it's too much, right? We have abundance amount of information. And as soon as like this AI stuff really kicks into gear, it's going to be an abundant of abundance of knowledge. So I just think the one thing I will say is not knowing something is no longer an excuse and will soon will not even be allowed to be said. So at that point, it's like, if you actually just focus on kind of how, like what you really want to do, you can figure out how to do it because there's an abundant amount of information to learn from, but truly find what you want to do. Uh, and I think this is the first time in human history that we can actually choose what you want to do, and then you can figure out how to do it after, instead of worrying about how you're going to do what you want to do in parallel. So uh, I just find that to be 
Yeah, no, that's that's a uh, that's golden to me. You're speaking my language, uh, and and it makes me think of this. You know, my my daughter's 11, and uh, and and you know, she became passionate uh, uh, a few weeks back about sorbet, and she made some sorbet, honey sweetened sorbet at home, and said, "Hey, this could be a business." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. This could be a business." She's like, well, "Where do we go from here?" And I was like, "You know what?" Chat GPT can help yeah. you out with that. And literally she got on and said, here's the business that I want to make. Give me some ideas. Give me some strategies. And like you mentioned AI there, like we're living in a time that, yeah, there's so many resources to help you like craft what you want to do. The mm -hmm. most important thing is, is figuring out and being mindful of what do you really want to do? Like, what are you passionate yeah. about? And, and where do you want to spend your time from there? There's a, there's a tremendous amount, of, and I think it's just going to get more and more resources to to help you with that. Organize your thoughts, put it exactly. into a strategy, put it into a tactics or action plan, and, and then you can go mm -hmm. out and just do that work. Love that. Exactly. No, Love that. that's spot on. And kudos to your daughter at 11 doing that. That's uh, uh, the genes followed well. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen the, the you know the 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 brand names that come out of it. You know, it's like uh, uh, fruit and honey, bee made uh, sorbet. Like you know, uh, GPT four is pretty uh, pretty smart uh, for tw twenty the, twenty bucks a month or something. You know, you got yeah, you got more and, of a brain than is, I had when. And this is the dumbest it will ever be. That's the craziest part. It's just getting smarter. You know? Yeah, that's what I that's, that's what I tell my kids. Like they got to be, uh, they got they got to know AI. Just wait till it's, yeah, GPT ten, right? You, 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 it's going to be how how do you how do you work with uh, and prompt it? It's not the day, you know. Uh, and and literally, twenty five years ago when I was starting out, we were we were we were like, hey, can you program the uh, programmable VCR? That was the extent of you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks so much, uh, Ronak. I value your time and uh, some some great shares for the community today. So uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fata. That's it for now. See you next time.